Galatians chapter number one. And uh, if you didn't know that, then you've missed the last couple of weeks. We're going to be in Galatians for a while, okay? You could just grab a, a marker. You can put it in your Bible there or, or uh, put a pen, uh, you know, somewhere that you know, okay, we're going to be in Galatians. Make sure that you have your spot saved because that's where we're going to be as we dive into the book of Galatians in these weeks and months ahead. And uh, looking forward to uh, the Lord speaking to us from this book. It's been a wonderful journey already. We're only two verses, two, uh, two weeks into it. And now we're on week number three. So congratulations, you've stuck around this far. Uh, stick around with us through the whole thing. All right, let's pray. And then uh, we're gonna dive into the word of God this morning and uh, see what the Lord has for us today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the time you've given us to be able to open your word now. And God, this really is the pinnacle, the moment. And God, the worship has been so sweet Today, I, I've so enjoyed, Lord, you, you've already ministered to my heart as, as uh, I've had the opportunity to worship you. Now, Lord, as we open your word, I pray that it would be clear and evident what is, is said in your word, that you would communicate to us through your Holy Spirit and each, each and every person in this room. God, wherever that, that point needs to be given, Lord, I pray that you would point that out in, in each heart. And Father, help me to say only those things as you want me to say. I pray, God, that what's said would please you. And God, that you would be glorified with everything that takes place today. Help us, Lord, to be faithful to you. And God, we give you the praise, the honor, and the glory for it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It was an outbreak of hostility in Lexington, Massachusetts in April 1775 that caused a young man to volunteer to, for service in the Continental Army. In only a short time, he was appointed by General George Washington to command an expedition to capture Quebec. He marched with 700 men by way of the main wilderness and reinforced by General Richard Montgomery, they attacked the well-fortified city. And while the attack failed, he was promoted to the rank of Brigadier General. After inflicting a severe loss on the British Army on Lake Champlain, he returned to Hero. However... He was seen by those he commanded as someone with rash courage and impatient energy, qualities that could easily lead into danger. When in February 1777, Continental Congress created five new major general positions, he was passed over in favor of those who were younger and from lower ranks than he was. He was so embittered by this that he sought to resign. It took George Washington himself to keep him from walking away. In August of 1777, he was seriously wounded in the Battle of Saratoga. This resulted in a promotion in rank, but a removal from the battlefield because of his lasting injuries. And for the next year and a half, he grew embittered further because of all that had transpired. And it was after he was married in April 1779 that Benedict Arnold agreed to betray his country for 10,000 pound payment. He would move to England, and for the rest of time, his name would be synonymous with traitor. There are a few things that a person who serves their country could be called worse than a traitor. I praise God for the men and the women that we've been able to honor today and be able to recognize who, who faithfully patriotized and served their country. I'm grateful for those that are faithful patriots that attend our church. They put their lives on the line, sacrifice so that we can enjoy the freedoms that we have today. I had the privilege a number of years ago to meet World War II Medal of Honor recipient Herschel Woodrow Woody Williams. 
On February the 23rd, 1945, Woody Williams was in Iwo Jima with a flamethrower strapped to his back. As he charged toward pillboxes filled with the enemy to save his fellow soldiers. I remember talking about how as he was running across there, he remembered uh, hearing sounds, pings, as bullets were hitting the tanks on his back that he was using to, 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 to uh, inflame his flamethrower. Uh, and as he was going across, I remember him sharing that he was in fear that one of those bullets was going to pierce one of those tanks and of course then end his life. Praise God for men and women like Woody Williams who have been faithful to their country and put their lives on the line for us today. When Paul penned the words that we find in our text today in verse number 6, he uses an important word. Look with me, if you would, at Galatians chapter number 1, verse number 6. He says this, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ into another gospel. The word removed there is an interesting Greek word. It's the Greek word metathemai. He says, I, I marvel that you so soon metathemai from him that called you. That Greek word was used for military desertion, traitor. And it was a crime that was punishable by death. When Paul used this there was a seriousness, a somberness that came upon the readers. Last week we were reminded of God's grace and God's peace and God's glory and what a wonderful thing those are. But as he comes to verse number 6, the tone completely changes as he points the finger at many who had so recently been uh, received the gospel and yet now they had turned away from it. This was no laughable accusation. Paul said to them, you, my friend, are a traitor. A traitor. And Paul says, I marvel. I'm stunned I'm shocked by your removal. Time would fail us today if we began to talk of those that maybe we've known who were once faithful to the Lord, faithful to church, who are no longer around. It's been a harsh reality in my life to see two of the three pastors that I grew up with fall out of ministry and one out of church completely, turning their back on God. I've been left scratching my head as friends that I have known who were once faithful to God have traded that life for a life of worldly pleasure that will ultimately leave them empty. Even recently I received a message from a man who had been a pastor, who I looked up to, who was a friend, who had fallen out of the ministry. And I was left feeling shocked. Stunned. How could this happen? I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you. One of the heartbreaking parts of pastoring now is that I know that there will be some who were once faithful to God, faithful to the church, faithful to the Lord, who will walk away from him. 
Friend, can I beg you this morning? Don't become a traitor. Don't become a statistic. Don't become a bad sermon illustration. Stay faithful to God. As Paul pleads with these new believers in Christ not to turn from God, he goes on the defense as he defends the true gospel. That's what he does in verses 6 through 7. Look with me if you would. The Bible says this, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ into another gospel. Then he says this, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Paul makes it clear, just because someone calls it the gospel doesn't mean that it's the gospel. He says just because you put a label on it doesn't mean that that's the truly what it is. What they were given wasn't another gospel. In fact, he goes so far as to tell them these people were perverting the gospel. The word for perverting that he used there literally means making something into its opposite. They had taken something that was only obtainable by the grace of God that we saw last week and, and, and they turned it into something that was available by works. And as we saw last week, those things don't go together. In Romans eleven six, we saw, and by grace, okay, if by grace, then it's no more works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But it be of works, then it's no more grace. Otherwise, works is no more works. He says, listen, these don't go together. Friend, there is a lot of religion out there that is perverted the gospel it's not the same thing as what the bible says and if it's not the same it's not genuine it's not real Tress and i for our our first anniversary we had the opportunity to go down to cancun Mexico, and, and uh, that was a scary adventure for me because, I mean, I don't know if you've seen my wife. She's a little darker complected than I am. I thought they were going to steal the gringo and leave her, all right? You know, it was kind of a, a scary venture, but at some point or another, we ended up in a, in a real Mexican, like, black market. That's the only way I can describe it. I'll never forget, we're walking through and, and all these people, oh, honeymooners, honeymooners, you know, trying to get us to come in and things. And, and, uh, and we're walking through there. And, and I'll never forget, as, as we're passing through, Tressa looked over and one of the windows was a coach purse. And so we walked over to it. I mean, like, listen, now, now listen, we don't deal in coach purses, but in Mexico, we deal in coach purses, okay? And so, so we walked over to the window, we walked into the store, and the guy pulled the purse out, and he says, oh, yeah, yeah, you want this? And, and, uh, and my Mexican accent is absolutely atrocious, so forgive me, okay? Uh, but, uh, you know, we, uh, she, he pulled that out, and, and Tress is looking at it, and he says, you know, I forget what he said, $200 or something like that. She says, oh, no, $200. <sighs> And so he said, $25. <laughs> and I remember thinking, coach purse for 25 bucks? Okay, yeah, all right. And so, of course, my wife, dealing in the black market. Listen, she's got the connections, okay? She bought herself a, a coach purse. You know what I found out? It wasn't a genuine coach purse, all right? You know, <laughs> the symbol was a little bit crooked and some of the threading was coming out and things like that. It, it wasn't the real thing, you know? It may have looked similar. It may have felt similar. You may have even been able to smell it, and I don't know if it had the real coach, coach, uh, coach purse smell. I'm not sure. But, I mean, it may have smelled. But listen, it wasn't the real thing. There are a lot of religion out there that looks similar. 
Religions that have a person named Jesus as a part of it. Religion that use similar words that the Bible says. There are religions that make you do some things that seem religious. Say words that sound religious. But can I tell you this this morning? It's not the same. Not the same as what the Bible says. And if it's not the same, just like Tress's purse, it isn't real. <laughs> Friend, if you're holding on to some religious ritual to get you to heaven, you're in big trouble. I don't mean to anybody today, but if you don't truly know Christ is your Savior, I hope today will wake you up and you'll realize that, listen, you don't have the real thing. We're not talking about being a Buddhist, a Methodist, a Presbyterian, a Catholic, or a Baptist this morning. We're talking about being a Biblicist and accepting Christ as your Savior according to the Bible. See, a person who is a Baptist will go to hell just as quick as a person who is a Buddhist. That isn't what matters. What matters is who you are depending on to get you to heaven. Because if it is anything or anyone besides or addition to Jesus Christ, you've got the wrong ticket. John 14, 6 says, Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. There is only one true gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul summed it up and made it real simple for us in verses 1 through 4. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preach unto you, which also ye have received wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. You're saved by the gospel. If you keep in memory that which I preach unto you, unless you believed in vain, unless it wasn't a real thing, he says this, hey, this is what it was. I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. You say, Kyle, what is that? That is the Gospel. If your salvation includes trusting in anything besides the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that alone, you don't have the real thing. You have a fake, a fraud. One day when you stand before God, your fake fraud religion will not get you into heaven. There is only one gospel. And Paul made it real clear. Real, real clear. All the others, they're a fake. This morning, if you don't have that settled, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, Him and Him alone, I hope today you'll get that settled. I hope today that you'll depend just on Christ, not on what you can do. It's by grace that you're saved through faith, not of yourselves. I hope this morning that you'll accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. We see Paul's defense of the true gospel, but then we see Paul's attack on false teachers. I'm telling you, man, he goes on the offense now. He's going after them. Look at verses 8 and 9. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which, he, which has preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, when we were over there and we were traveling through Iconium and Lystra and Derby, when we were going through those cities, he said, listen, as we told you then, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Paul goes to the most extreme example he can think of, of what could possibly teach a false gospel. He says, if an angel of God, or if Paul himself. <laughs> 
He says, if you think that an angel comes down from God and tries to teach you a gospel that contradicts the true gospel, he says, let him be accursed. And then he makes it personal. He says, if I were to preach another gospel, another message other than the true gospel that's been given to you, he says, let me be accursed. And then he goes and he doubles down. In case you didn't get it, if anyone preaches anything other than the true gospel, let them be accursed. Now that word accursed is important. It's the Greek word anatheme. That word literally means to condemn someone to eternal torment and hell. That's how serious Paul was taking this. He wasn't messing around. But why would he about the most serious and important message that could ever be delivered. These people were preaching a message that was literally condemning people to an eternity in a lake of fire, and now Paul is condemning that messenger to the same fate. To proclaim a false gospel is a very serious offense to God. We live in an age where you can find any number of preachers online, if you want to, that will tell you what you want to hear. They'll make you feel good. They'll talk to you about things that, well, you know, it's not in the Bible, but tell you all kinds of stuff to make you feel good about yourself. Friend, you better make sure they're preaching the truth. These watered-down preachers with watered-down messages that are deceiving people into false message. Uh, a false message is a scary thought. They are living their best life now. <laughs> and if nothing changes, they'll pay for it for all of eternity. Friend, it doesn't matter how popular or polished someone is. It doesn't matter how moving their message may be. It doesn't matter what experiences they may have had or what position they may hold. It does, if it doesn't line up with this book, Paul says, let them be accursed. And that's very serious. See, Peter was on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, James, and John. And there he was, it was an incredible experience, and, and Moses and, and Elijah appear before him, and, and, and Jesus is there, and he gets this glimpse of the transfigured Christ. It's an absolutely incredible experience, and while he's up there, he hears the voice of God proclaim, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. I mean, it was absolutely amazing. Something that only Peter, James, and John experienced. So when Peter got a book, I mean, he finally was able to sit down and write a book that was put in our Bible. When he sat down and he wrote it, you knew that he was going to write about it. <laughs> but what did he say about it? It's interesting. In 2 Peter chapter number 1, verse number 16, he says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables, when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He says, I didn't hear this secondhand. This wasn't some story that was told me or passed down. No, no, no. He says, I saw this with my own eyes. This is from my own personal experience. 
He says he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice into him from excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven was we heard when we were with him on that holy mount. He says it was unbelievable. We got to hear God the Father speak about his own Son. We got to hear his voice. It was incredible. That experience was amazing. But don't miss what he says next in verse number 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well to take heed, as to the light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn, the day star rise in your heart, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is any private interpretation. The prophecies came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. You know what Peter was saying here? He said, my experience was unbelievable. Incredible. I mean, like he had the real deal bright light experience. I mean, it was unbelievable. Heard the voice of God. And he said, even with that, he said, I, above my experience, you know what I trust more? I trust this book. He says, we have a more sure word. Friend, don't trust in some experience you or someone else may have had. There is only one thing you and I can trust without question, and that is the word of God. And just because you had an experience... Just because some person saw a bright light and had a feeling in their tummy that was probably just indigestion, it doesn't make what they say, what they said, the truth. If what they say doesn't line up with the word of God, Paul says it, let them be accursed and don't you have anything to do with it. So sad how many people have been deceived by false religion, false prophets that claim to have a new gospel. Religions that come on the scene, and, and most of them start the same way. They see a bright light. They, you know, they have you know something, you know, some experience that takes place, and and they saw this. They saw this angel. They saw these, and, and so now because of what they saw, because of their experience that they had, now they have new truth that they can reveal. Peter says that's hogwash. Put your experience away. There's only one thing you can truly trust, and that's God's word. It's God's word. Friend, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. God forbid that it would ever happen. But just as Paul said, if I were to ever stand up in this pulpit and preach another gospel from what this book says, I would hope that you would throw me out and go find somebody else that preaches the truth. Because it's not about what somebody up here says. It's about what this book says. That's what matters. It's about the word of God, not the words of man, not mine. Paul defended the true gospel. He attacked the false teachers. And then Paul pointed to the motivation. He pointed to the motivation. What was the root behind why these false teachers were doing what they were doing? Well, we find it in verse number 10. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Paul just 
simply asks, who am I seeking approval from? Paul is hitting at here is really the root of what false religion, where it stems from. It's the second half of that verse. If I'm preaching to please men, I'm not serving Christ. If I'm leaving, living for the, the pleasure and the pleasing of men, the approval of men, I'm not leave, living for the approval of Christ. Proverbs 29, 25 says this, The fear of man bringeth a snare. But whoso putteth this trust in the Lord shall be safe. See, the message of the false prophet was dictated by the crowd he was preaching to, not by Christ and the truth. What do these guys want to hear? You know what I think would make them happy is if I said this. Oh, I'm speaking to the Jews over here. Okay, the Jews, well, they're very in tradition. They're very based in, 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 in their, their exuberant amount of, of, of knowledge of the law of the Old Testament. Okay, so I'm going to preach this message to them. Well, these guys over here, they, 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 don't, uh, you know, they don't know the law. I mean, the Greeks, they, they don't understand that. So, so we'll just preach a message that's all about grace. That's all that matters. It's just all grace. And that's the message. We won't talk about law. We won't talk about sin. We'll just talk about grace. It was all to please man. You know, here's one of the sad truths about most Christians today. today. Most refuse to take that kind of stand for Christ. Take any type of stand at all. No, they, they just kind of mold into whatever their surrounding is. And they, they talk a certain way when they're in this crowd. And then whenever they go over here, they, they talk a certain way with, when they're with that crowd. And, and, and there's really no, you know, it's just kind of whatever crowd they're in, that's, that's what they become. I mean, sure, at church on Sunday, we talk about God, we talk about Jesus, we sing songs about Him. But when Monday comes around and you're on break at work, or when you're at the family get-together at Thanksgiving coming up, or what about lunch at school? All of a sudden, Christ doesn't have much of a part of your life, not in your conversation. You'll talk about all kinds of other things, but not about Jesus. You say, well, Kyle, that would be awkward to talk about the gospel all the time. <laughs> okay. What about just any time? I mean, you know, just talk about any time. That would be great. See, one of the sad realities is that most Christians are no different than the false prophets with their message. It molds and changes to whatever crowd that we are in, whatever is going to please man. And the fear of man has ensnared the hearts of many Christians. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter number 5 what we're supposed to be. He says in verse number 14, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in their house. Uh, so let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Friend, when is the last time that you let your light shine? Anywhere at all. Most of the time we're hiding our light so that we can blend in with the crowd that we're in. 
You may not be actively promoting a false gospel, but you sure aren't doing anything to counteract one either. As a soldier, you're given commands to follow. To follow those commands is absolute paramount. To refuse to follow is at best insubordination and could eventually result in a dishonorable discharge. But could you imagine as a soldier knowing the plan, but standing by as you watch others in your troop walk unknowingly into a deadly situation that you were fully aware of and saying nothing. Condemning them to destruction. See, you may be able to avoid the danger yourself, but to know that it's coming and tell no one, well, that wouldn't be too far from being a traitor. You know, the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 2.3, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. When you accepted Christ as your Savior, you enlisted in the Lord's army. When we're a kid, we sing the song over there in the class, I'm in the Lord's army, right? You know, I may never fly over the infantry, ride in the cavalry, you know, shoot the archers. We may not do any of those things, but listen, I'm in the Lord's army. We, we say it when we're kids. Listen, that wasn't just a song. That was the Bible. And we've been given our marching orders. Matthew 28 tells us, Go ye therefore... Teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you all way, even to the end of the world. Amen. Yet so many Christians are at best insubordinate. And if we're being honest, as we stand by and watch others head into an eternity in a lake of fire, many are borderline traitor. Now, we would never be called a borderline traitor for our country. I mean, the pride that wells up in us. We love our country. We love this land that we live in. If someone was to point the finger and say, you're a traitor to our country, man, that's, that's next to Ken. To, uh, you just better watch because the right hook might be coming, all right? We would never settle for that. So why would we settle for it for our Savior? who gave everything for us. Now one day, your life will come to an end. The Bible tells us that our life is a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. In Proverbs chapter number 27, verse number one, he says, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. One day your life is gonna come to an end and if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. On that day, you'll see the scars in the hands of the one who gave everything for you. You'll look into his eyes for the very first time. The one who died in your place. You'll hear the voice of the one who gave you your marching orders. And in that moment... You aren't going to be concerned with the score of the ball game. You won't be searching your pockets for your cell phone to show them a picture of the world-class mount that you got, all right? You aren't going to want to talk about the great deal that you found online. 
No, the only thing that's going to matter is did you live to please men or did you live to please God? Friend, I want to hear that, those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And I'm sure you do as well. So let's stand for the true gospel. Stand in opposition to the false teachers. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, as the song says, and share his gospel. Because pleasing him is the only thing that matters. This morning, can I encourage us and challenge us, friend? Don't be a traitor. Stand up. Stand faithful for God. And allow Him to use your life. Let's have heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You, God, for the truths that are found in it. And God, what a simple passage of Scripture, but a challenging, God, it's a somber passage, God, and how I'm humbled, Lord, as I get to preach it, but Lord... My own life, I want to live it, God. And I pray for each one that's here this morning that, God, they don't want to settle for just going through the motions, hiding in the, the corners, God, but they want to stand up for you. They want to be used by you. And I pray, God, you give them the boldness to be able to do that today. May we be good soldiers of Jesus Christ. God forbid that anybody in this room would be a traitor. God, if somebody's on the edge, if they're getting ready to walk away, God, may they turn back to you today. And have a zeal for you like they've never had before. Friend, with heads bowed and with eyes closed today, can I encourage you? Spend some time with God. If God's spoken to your heart this morning, don't just let the moment pass by. If He's spoken to your heart there in your seat, why don't you respond to Him? And Lord, I know that you spoke to me this morning. And God, here's how you spoke to me. I don't want to respond to you. And friend, if you're here this morning and you've been trusting in anything other than the true gospel, why don't you get things right today? Lord, I know that I've not been trusting in the truth. I've been looking all over the place for the answer and God, the truth right there, it's in your word. It's Jesus and him alone. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, why don't you call in the name of the Lord right where you're sitting this morning? Say, so Kyle's at some weird, kind of strange thing. No, 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 friend. The Bible tells us that if you call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. If you believe that Jesus Christ really did die on the cross for you and that his death was sufficient, there's nothing else if you're trusting in him and him alone. The Bible tells us that if you put your trust in him and him alone, you can know for sure that you're going to spend eternity in heaven. And if you've never done that, you can do that today. If you're a Christian, man, I hope you'll re-enlist this morning. If you've wavered in your relationship with God, if it isn't where it ought to be, why don't you re-enlist and say, God, help me to serve you the way that I should. With passion, with zeal. God, I want to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And I hope that would be the case for each person in the room this morning. Father, thank you for your word.